family. For those that missed Corey's announcement, my name is Adam Diggs. I'm a part of the leadership pipeline as an apprentice here at Wallace, and I'm so glad to be able uh, to be here with you this morning to hear God's word. Now, when, when I was in college, uh, I got an opportunity to play football uh, at Maryville College just 20 minutes south uh, here of Knoxville. And football season, it's, it's played in the fall, but honestly, the hardest part about playing college football wasn't the fall season, but it was spring practice, right? So spring practice, every day that we had practice, uh, we would have 5.30 workouts early in the morning. And so I don't know if you know this, if you've ever had college kids or been around college kids, but college kids, their first choice isn't waking up at 5.30, right? They're, they're known for sleeping in. And so we would have to get up early and we would condition for one or two hours straight of things like uh, sprints, agilities, competitions, like one-on-one -on -one tug of war, and we would be exhausted. And so there was one morning in particular that uh, we ended up getting to the gymnasium. The basketball gym is where we ended up doing it. And so we got to the gym, at, and we were there at 5.30 in the morning, and we noticed that, that our football coach had walked over to about where the scores table in and had his phone plugged in the auxiliary cord and he was kind of scrolling through his phone. And so usually we had to condition in silence. And so we thought, man, he's gonna play music, this is gonna be a fun day, and we were pumped up. But that's not what happened. Because as he began to play the music, we heard just a soft baby cry in the background. And so I don't know if you've all been on YouTube or Pandora or any streaming device. Before you play music, sometimes there are advertisements. And so we thought, man, this is just an advertisement of a, of a baby crying, and then maybe he'll play the music. But 10 seconds turned into 20 seconds and turned into 30 seconds. And at about a minute, that soft baby cry turned into a loud baby scream. And so a baby screaming at the top of its lungs as we're going through this conditioning at 5.30 in the morning. And we're all looking around like, what in the world is going on? And we're asking, why is, why is coach doing this? Is, is he mad at us? Did we do something wrong? Is he just having fun, uh, giving us a hard time? Like, what in the world is he doing? And so my had the biggest headache in the world because I had stayed up late and it's early in the morning and we're running and this baby screaming and I almost walked out of the gym. I was done. And some of you parents can probably understand uh, that feeling, right? You're just, you're ready to walk out when you hear that baby screaming. And so we were asking ourselves, why in the world did he do that? And so I tell this story this morning because I think that's often how we deal with suffering in our own lives. We go through tough times and we begin to ask questions. What in the world is going on? Why is this happening to me? And we look for a purpose in our suffering because we want to make sense of our suffering to help us get through it. And specifically this morning, I want to look at what the Bible says about our suffering. The book of Hebrews, it gives us just a glimpse, not a detailed explanation of why, but just a glimpse of how God can use our suffering and how he can give us purpose in our suffering. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 4 through 13 says God can use suffering as discipline. Now you hear that and you may think, so I experienced 
the death of a loved one because God wants to discipline me? That doesn't sound very loving. But I would say this is probably too simplified, right? Because the Bible gives us many glimpses and, and many reasons for why we're going through what we're going through. So it's hard to say that one just applies every single time. See, sometimes there's direct sin that leads to suffering, right? And this makes sense to us. If a man cheats on his wife and his wife finds out, then, and she leaves him, we're going to say, yeah, we can point to that and say, we know exactly why he's going through this suffering. And other times, like we just mentioned, maybe we're going through the suffering of, of death of a loved one. And that doesn't always directly have a specific reason, something that we can point to of why this is happening. But the Bible doesn't leave us without purpose. It gives us purpose in our suffering so that we have a better hope. Specifically this morning, we're going to be reading from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 4 through 13. And we looked at a couple weeks ago that chapter 11 deals with faith. And these Hebrew people are struggling with their faith because we know from chapter 10 that they're going through immense persecution. They've lost property. They visited loved ones in prison. They're going through a tough time. And from the context of, of, of this book, we believe that the Hebrews were thinking about giving up their faith and going back to the Jewish religion instead of putting their faith in Jesus. They were suffering, and the author of Hebrews wants to give them hope by giving them purpose in their suffering. So if you would stand with me for the reading of God's word, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 4 through 13. I'll read aloud or you can follow along on the screen. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 4 through 13 says, In struggling against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. My son, do not take the Lord's discipline lightly, or lose heart when you are reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and punishes every son he receives. Endure suffering as discipline. God is dealing with you as sons. For what son is there that a father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, which all receive, then you are an illegitimate, illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had human fathers discipline us and we respected them. Shouldn't we submit even more to the father of spirits and live? For they discipline us for a short time based on what seemed good to them. But he does it for our benefit so that we can share his holiness. No discipline seems enjoyable at the time but painful. Later on, however, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your tired hands and weakened knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated but healed instead. Thank you. You may be seated. And as we look this morning, what's one thing I want us all to do as a result of this passage this morning? Our action step is to endure suffering as discipline. And you may ask why. Why would I endure my suffering as discipline from God? And I think the author of Hebrews answers that by giving us four reasons to endure suffering as discipline. The first reason that we uh, endure suffering as discipline is because you are God's child. In verse 4, we see that, that life is a fight against sin. He said, you've not yet struggled against sin to the point of shedding blood. He's talking about you've not become a martyr for the faith. You've not died like 
Dr. Bill Wallace did that this church is named after. You've not died for the faith, so keep going. You're alive. Continue in the fight against sin. Don't give up. He's telling them to endure. And he tells them not to forget what God says through Scripture. He quotes Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. And we see that here in verse 6. It says, For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and punishes every son he receives. And you may say, I don't see a good reason for suffering or for discipline. How, how in the world is that loving? But just because you can't think of a good reason for suffering doesn't mean that there isn't one. I love what Pastor Tim Keller says. It's a little bit longer quotation, so bear with me. He says, if we ask the question, why does God allow evil and suffering to continue? And we look at the cross of Jesus, we still don't know exactly what the answer is. However, we know what the answer isn't. It can't be that he doesn't love us. It can't be that God stopped loving us. So the reason for your suffering is not because God doesn't love you. In 1 John chapter 4, we see pretty simply, he says, God is love. And God's greatest expression is his love for us is through the death of his son Jesus on a cross. We know this from John 3, 16, because it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God's not a cold, distant God. He's not an uninterested God. He's a God of love. And the object of his love is you. And that's something that even in our suffering we can hold on to. God loves you. And that's a better hope. And because God loves us, he sent his son to die for us so that we could become children of God. That's why we see in verse 8 that he addresses them as sons. And verse 8 says, But if you are without discipline, which all receive, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Back then, if you called someone an illegitimate child, that was a great insult. And maybe it still is today as well. And back then, illegitimacy, it, it negatively meant that you um, were an outcast. It affected your social status because you weren't a part of the family. It meant that you didn't get all the inheritance rights as a real child or a son would get. See, fathers were not as concerned for the illegitimate children as they were their actual heirs. And they usually invested little time in the illegitimate children compared to their sons. But you, Christian, you are a child. You are a child of God. Listen to Romans chapter 8, verses 16 and 17, what it says. It says, the Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Illegitimate sons have no rights to the inheritance. They're not included in the will. But through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, he has secured our inheritance. Why? Because God has adopted us into his family when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. 
We are in God's family. We are children of God. And because of that, we receive the inheritance of Christ. Christians, God is giving us a reminder here that we're not going through suffering because we're losing our inheritance. We're not going through suffering because we're not legitimate children. We're not going through suffering because God doesn't love us. His discipline is not meant to push us away, but it's meant to draw us near and close to him. It's meant to help you obtain your inheritance by being a child. Remember, you are loved and you have an inheritance secured by Jesus. Endure suffering is discipline because you are a child of God. Why would I endure suffering as discipline? I think the second reason we see in this passage is because God is our father. You have God as a father. If we are children, then it seems pretty obvious, we have God as a father. Verses nine and 10 say, furthermore, we had human fathers discipline us and we respected them. Shouldn't we submit even more to the father of spirits and live? For they discipline us for a short time based on what seemed good to them, but he does it for our benefit so that we could share in his holiness. Now I know we read these verses through a filter because a lot of us have different experiences with our earthly fathers. Some people had great fathers here on this earth. Some people may have suffered through having no real father in their life, an absent father. Some people may have had a distant father. And so we all go through this analogy of, of father through a filter. But what the author of Hebrews is doing is he's making a lesser to greater argument. See, he's saying, unless you really see God as greater, this, none of this makes any sense. And I hear this often from people who have loving fathers because they say things like, my father would never do that, so why would God do it? To which I would respond, I know fathers who can't even watch TV and listen to their wives at the same time, and yet God can hear the prayers of billions of people all across the earth in different countries, in different languages. He suffers with those who are suffering and he rejoices with those who are rejoicing. God is much bigger than we can imagine. He's indescribable, incomparable, infinite. God is holy, different than anything that we can imagine. And because he's holy, he's set apart, he's perfect. We should be able to trust him more than we did our earthly fathers, no matter our fatherly situation. We should trust God more in our suffering, not less. You see, there was a, a very wealthy man who uh, really loved his family. He was very religious, and he wanted to instill uh, those religious values into his children. He, he didn't cheat to get his wealth, but he was a very good man. And so one day, uh, Satan came up to God, and he said, you know that, that man, he's only religious because you've blessed him immensely. That's the only reason that he loves you. And God knew this not to be true, so he gave Satan permission to go out and, and do what he wanted. And so Satan went to this man, and he ended up uh, destroying his house. And the children were inside, and, and all ended up passing away. A great famine came and, and, and destroyed all the crops. There was 
a, a group of attackers that came and killed all the cattle. And so all of a sudden, this man had no, no work, no money, and no children. But he didn't turn away from God, even in his suffering. And so Satan came back to God a second time, and he said, well, you know what? I took everything away from him, and he didn't turn away from you in his suffering. But I know what will get him. Because if you take away his health, right, that will get him to turn away from you. And so God knew that this not to be true, so he sent Satan out. And Satan came, and he brought great boils on the man where he became very sick and ill. And the man still didn't turn away from God, even in his suffering. And maybe you've heard this story, or maybe it sounds familiar. Maybe some light bulbs are coming off, going off for those who have grown up in church. But I just told a story about a man in the Bible named Job. Job, throughout the rest of the book of what I just read, he's sitting with his friends. I think it was up to seven days in silence. They're just sitting there and mourning together and trying to figure out what's God doing in the midst of this. And as he's having these conversations with his friends, his friends are saying, man, you must have done something. You really messed up. Just go ahead, just tell us so we can pray for you and you can turn away from that and God will bless you again. And Job's saying, no, I didn't, I didn't do anything. I was a good man. I didn't cheat my workers. I was religious. I tried to love my family. I didn't, I didn't do anything. And so Job comes to the conclusion in the middle of the book, maybe, maybe God's my enemy. Maybe he's not my friend. Maybe God's against me. And so as he starts to accuse God of, of not being loving, God shows up in the picture. And he starts to answer some of Job's questions by asking more questions. He asked Job, hey, where were you when I created all this earth? Where were you when I put the stars in the sky and created the animals on the ground? Where were you when I was putting the whole universe together? We can't even figure all of this out here on earth. How are you supposed to figure out what's going on in your own life? And how are you supposed to figure out exactly what I'm up to in all my wisdom? And I don't want us to miss, I think this is so powerful. Listen to Job's response of hearing of God's greatness, his bigness, his holiness, in the midst of his suffering. Job says, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. When we grow in our understanding of who God is as a heavenly father, we trust him even more because we see him for who he is. See, in the midst of Job's suffering, God didn't give him the why, but he gave him the who. And he says, Job, I love you. And he's, God is saying that to you today. He's saying, I love you. When a child falls and scrapes their knee, what's the first thing they do? They go and they run to their father and jump in his arms. And so I want to ask you Christians, are you running to God or are you running from God in your suffering? Is suffering making you bitter towards God? Or is it making your relationship with him better? God has you here this morning for a reason. You may have been running from God in your suffering, 
But I would encourage you, just take this opportunity to run back to God. Because he's holy. He'll, he won't sin against you. Therefore, we can trust him even in our suffering. We can submit to him and live. We can endure suffering as discipline because we have God as our father. You may ask, why endure suffering as discipline? I think the third reason we see here is because you receive God's righteousness in verse 11. Verse 11 says, no discipline seems enjoyable at the time but painful. Later on, however, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. At the end of verse 10, we just talked about God being father and we see that He's our father and he disciplines us because he wants us to grow in holiness. See, he wants us to be holy and he wants his children to be holy as in the image of the father. God is holy, so he wants us to be holy. We know this from 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. It says, be holy because I am holy. Not only does this passage in Hebrews demand that we be holy, but it also demands that we be righteous the discipline of God yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. And some commentators say that this righteousness is the same thing as holiness. If we read in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it says, He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We give God our sin, and Jesus Christ gives us his righteousness. And it's all of this righteousness is because of Jesus. Because we have the righteousness of God, we should pursue the righteousness of living right. Here the author of Hebrews, he adds, this will bring peace in our life. So how can, how can these Hebrew people have peace even in the midst of their suffering? They can have peace because they live obediently to God's word, according to God's standards. And that brings flourishing to our lives, even in the midst of suffering, regardless of our circumstances. This is because we experience deeper intimacy with God, greater joy, and a stronger relationship, even in our suffering, as we pursue righteousness in God. I heard a, a story about a swimmer named Michael Phelps. And maybe a lot of you know him, but Michael Phelps is probably the greatest Olympic swimmer of all time. And so he was going through his intense training like he does every day, and he got back to the wall and was taking a break, and all of a sudden, his trainer just reached down and snapped his goggles right off his head. And he turned and he, he threw his goggles on the ground, and he, he just started stomping them, where they began to break and almost shatter. They were cracked all around the goggle area. And so he calmly picked the, glass, the goggles up and he handed them back to Michael Phelps and he said, swim, keep going. Michael Phelps like, this guy's crazy. Like I can't swim without my goggles. Water will get in, I won't be able to see. And he said, swim. And so Michael Phelps, he trained and he trained and he, he finished the last two laps of his training. And later on, wouldn't you know that Michael Phelps, he got to a race. It was a really big race, really important. And he got down to the last lap. And he was leading and he was about to win it all. All he had to do was go down to the pool and come back. And wouldn't you know, his goggles broke. 
And so he finished the last lap counting how many strokes he had swam and then came back because he had done it before. Church, just because we can't understand what God's doing in our life doesn't mean it isn't good. We see that righteousness comes to those who train. And God is training and preparing us to live more righteously, more like him, more like he created us to be. The Hebrews were struggling with, with giving in to sin. So I have to ask, are you training for righteousness or are you giving up and suffering? I imagine that there's a man who's he's home alone. He feels great temptation. He, his desire to sin, it, it's, it's strong. His mind begins to negotiate with integrity. His suffering and his struggle and fighting against temptation, it just seems like too much. He's been on this road before. He doesn't know if he can fight again. It just seems like too much. He's failed time and time again. And he's asking, should I give in to sin or should I fight in my suffering against sin? And I'm telling you here this morning, Christians, don't give in to sin. Endure the suffering as discipline. Endure the suffering as discipline. Don't give up. God wants you to keep going. Endure suffering as discipline, and it will lead you to righteousness. So you may ask, why should I endure suffering as discipline? I think the fourth reason that the author of Hebrews gives in this passage is we should endure suffering as discipline because you are in God's church. Verses 12 and 13 say, Therefore, strengthen your tired hands and weakened knees and make straight paths for your feet. And what is lame may not be dislocated, but healed instead. And this may be the least clear verse in this passage, but the author of Hebrews, he's trying to paint a picture of an athlete. Imagine a boxer going into the last round. He's, he's been fighting eight, nine rounds, getting punched in the face over and over and over again. He thinks, this is too much, I can't keep going. But as he, as he goes into that last round, his hands are heavy. He can hardly hold up his gloves. His, his knees are weak. He thinks, I'm going to fall down if I get hit one more time. Or maybe we can go to a football analogy. Imagine a football player running onto the field who had been hit time and time again, and he's, he's limping onto the field, doesn't know if he can even go these last two minutes of the game. And, and that's exactly what the author of Hebrews is saying in this passage. He's saying, hey, you've been through some suffering, and you've got tired hands and weakened knees. And church, I would, I would say, here in this church this morning, we have some tired hands and weakened knees. There are people struggling with sin, struggling with anxiety, struggling with relationships, struggling with parenting, struggling with school, struggling with jobs. Do I have to go on to convince you that there is some intense suffering and fighting going on in this room? But as long as there's sin in the world, church, we need to understand and be reminded that we'll have people struggling against that sin, both Christians and not Christians. Be suffering through struggling against their sin, suffering through the broken relationships, grieving death. And this will happen 
the Bible says, until Jesus comes back again and makes all things right. So as a church, how have we been doing with helping people strengthen their tired hands and their weakened knees? How has Wallace Church been doing? Or maybe even more personally, how are, how are you doing encouraging others to strengthen their tired hands and weakened knees? Because when people are suffering, church, it's not convenient for us. It's not convenient to deal with other people struggling and suffering. But can I clue you into a secret? It's right here at the second part of this verse. It says, but they will be healed instead. They'll be healed instead. And as a church, we know the person who can provide the healing. See, our job as a church is not to be the Savior, but to be the one who points to the Savior. And that's more than just saying, oh man, you're going through a tough time, just go to church. It means sitting with people in their suffering, listening and weeping and crying with them, waiting to speak a word of healing by pointing them to the healer, Jesus. And we need to be reminded we're not in this thing alone in our suffering. We should endure suffering as discipline because we are in God's church. And so you may ask yourself, Adam, you seem like a pretty young guy. Uh, you don't seem like you've been through too much in life. How are you going to tell me how to get through my suffering? And I, I can say honestly, I haven't suffered probably what each and every one of you has suffered. But can I be real with you just for one second, church? That a big part of my testimony is that by the time I was 21 years old, that I had already lost 10 classmates, teammates, and friends to death, all under the age of 21. And I can honestly tell you this, that through that time, I wouldn't have got through it if it weren't for God. I wouldn't be standing up here in front of each and every one of you here this morning if it wasn't for the hope of the gospel. These truths are what can give us hope and can give us life. These truths are what got me through my own suffering during those times. That, that we're God's sons, that we're God's children. He is our father. That he's training us into righteousness even in the midst of our suffering when we can't see it. That he's not allowed us to go through our suffering alone, but he's given us the church. And there are many times I've been here on this altar praying, God, just let my heart take hold of these truths. I need you. And people have come beside me and prayed. And I want to encourage you Christians here this morning, hold on to these truths. Endure suffering is discipline. And if you're not a Christian here this morning, I encourage you. I encourage you to, to believe that we have a God who came as a man to suffer on a cross so he could take our sin and give us his righteousness. And so he died on the cross and he resurrected on the third day so that all who believe in him will not die but have eternal life. And you can receive this life by putting your faith in Jesus for the very first time. But however God is calling you, Christian or not Christian, here this morning, now is the time to be doers of God's word and not just hearers only. Would you pray with me with every head bowed and every eye closed? 
Lord, I thank you for this word this morning because, God, we're, we're suffering. We have some, some weak hands, some drooping knees. God, we've been in a fight. And, Lord, we couldn't go through this fight, through our suffering, if it wasn't for you and the hope of your gospel. So, Lord, just, would you just give our tired, suffering, weakened hearts Would you just give us the ability to just grasp the hope of the gospel here this morning as Christians? Would you allow us to suffer this discipline from you so that we would become more righteous, that we would become more like Jesus? And Lord, I pray that those who who don't know you, that haven't accepted you and put their faith in Jesus, God, for the very first time, God, here today in this church, that they would believe and receive eternal life so that they wouldn't have to suffer without the hope of the gospel. Lord, we do this all in your name, Jesus. Amen.